What's happening, everybody? Welcome to the Dan Cable Presents podcast. I had episode 217 in store for you, but in light of the murder of George Floyd and the protests that have ensued since, it did not make sense for me to do so. And I know that a lot of people have chosen to go dark this week out of solidarity. But uh, I wanted to use this platform this week to amplify black voices and voices of people of color. For you new listeners, my name is Dan Cable. I started this weekly music podcast four and a half years ago. Week to week, it is usually a conversation with a band and artists, musicians, and other music industry folks. So many people have come on this podcast over the years and and been willing to share the stories that have inspired their art. And I appreciate the vulnerability that is often offered through those conversations. Being someone that is interested in all types of music and art, it's been important to me to try to represent many different genres of music and a diverse group of artists on this podcast, many of which have been black artists and other people of color. I've learned so much from their music, their stories, their fellowship, and conversations. I not only want to be a supporter of their art, but I want to support them as human beings. Human beings that deserve to have the same equal rights in this country that I do. Black music and art has enriched my experience as a human, and I can't imagine my life without it. I took a liking to rap and hip-hop from a very young age, and as I got older and continued to listen and explored other facets of the genre, I found that so much can be taken in and so much of the experience of these people is expressed through their art and these records and it can offer some insight into an experience that you will never fully understand as a white person but can hopefully make you think and create more questions for yourself. So many records have inspired me and offered me a glimpse into a life and culture that are not my own. Records like Marvin Gaye's What's Going On, Kendrick Lamar's Good Kid, Mad City, which I think is some of the finest storytelling on a record, and to follow that up with To Pimp a Butterfly was incredible and and so next level. Or a more recent record like Kia's Forever Your Girl, which is a beautiful and eye-opening experience. All of these things have infected my life so much, and I value these people as artists and as equal human beings. I feel so fortunate, man, to have been raised in a household that was welcoming to everyone and never discouraged me from listening or exploring art or lifestyles from other cultures. My parents did not raise me to be a fucking racist, and I am incredibly grateful for that. With that said, 
this shit has been on my mind all week. It's been hard for me to focus on anything else than the current happenings in America. And uh, I think that's a good thing. And it's a feeling that I want to follow. We witnessed a modern day lynching with the murder of George Floyd. And it happened in front of children and his fellow citizens. And if that doesn't bother you or shake you, then I think you really need to to check your shit. And if the police brutality people have been sharing on the internet makes you uncomfortable, it's supposed to. It's not supposed to sit well with you. These are not isolated incidents. Imagine if the murder of George Floyd was not caught on camera. And imagine all of the other incidents and all of the other bullshit that isn't caught on camera and all of the other people's names that we don't know that we are marching for and the moments that will continue to not be documented if systemic change does not happen. We're at a crossroads. This old racist shit needs to be exterminated and heavily examined. I have by no means been a perfect white person I do not claim to be some white knight, but I'm trying to be better and be a part of the movement that makes no human being less than another. I have not always done my due diligence to pay attention to the legislation and groups that can help support this movement. I have made insensitive jokes, especially as a younger person, not understanding their weight but I understand their weight now. I haven't always understood my white privilege or even had to acknowledge it for that matter. I never thought to take the time really to examine it because I knew that I wasn't a racist, but just because you don't hate people because of their skin color or where they're from, does not discredit your white privilege. What I do understand is that I will never fully understand what it is like to be a person of color in this country or anywhere else. I've been out to the peaceful protests. I feel proud to have had the opportunity to march with my fellow Portlanders this week. It's a powerful experience to march for a cause that you believe in amongst so many people that do not believe in this unjust system. I've been doing my research and signing petitions and I've been donating some dollars to organizations that seem to be helpful to the Black Lives Matter movement. In the episode notes, I will provide a link to a Google Doc that has some information on how you can help. There's so many ways to do so. So don't feel overwhelmed that you have to tackle all of them. But do feel the urgency to take part now. I know this is a a long-winded intro. I just wanted to provide some context for what I'm doing with this platform this week. And what I have asked of past guests of this podcast 
friends and collaborators is to share their stories of being a person of color in America. I wanted them to do so in a space that allowed them to speak with no interruption. So these are not conversations. I did not want to interrupt or interject my thoughts or lead the conversation this week. So I asked them to record their responses to some questions I formulated, as well as add any further thoughts or experiences that they felt were important. This is meant to be an exercise in listening. And not just for the subscribers of the podcast, but for me as the facilitator of this platform. And I just want to say that I appreciate the fuck out of all these people that submitted their messages to me. This was an incredibly vulnerable thing I asked of these people, and it blew me away that anyone was willing to do so. I do not want this to be a one-off of this podcast. I want to follow this up with more volumes of this project, and I know others are already planning to share their experiences. So if you're a person of color and you'd like to share your experience, please send me a DM on Instagram or an email. I will have both of those links in the episode notes as well. I hope the experiences shared by my guests this week offer you perspective. I hope they open your eyes, make you uncomfortable, and fire you the fuck up. I'm with this Black Lives Matter movement, and uh, I feel fortunate to have the opportunity to share these words, stories, and messages from the folks that have participated in this first volume of this project. I will put all of the links in the episode notes for all the people that have participated so that you can follow up with them. Many of them are are musicians and artists, so buy, stream, and, and share their music if, uh, if you dig it. But uh, most importantly, just, just listen, man, and uh, speak up and speak out when you see some racist bullshit going on. And once again, thank you to all these fine folks that have uh, chosen to participate in this project. I cannot thank you enough for your words and for the opportunity for more insight into your lives and your experiences. And I also want to give a big thank you to Sir Nye, who is an incredibly talented music producer out of Portland, Oregon. And all of the music that you are hearing while these people are sharing their words, with the exception of Joshua Azam, a.k.a. Cloud Castle, who uh, was vibing to some Kamasi Washington when he was uh, recording his message. So it just seemed, seemed like the right move to just let Kamasi live somewhere in this podcast as well, since he's such an amazing musician. But... Everything else you're hearing is the, the work of Sir Nye, and his link will be in the episode notes as well 
as all of the other participants. This is uh, usually a music podcast. So uh, since I have so many artists represented on on the show this week, I figured that I would kick it off with some music like uh, we normally do things around here. And I'm going to kick it off with a track from the person that you're going to hear speak first. He raps under the name Cool Nuts. Every encounter I've had with this dude has been incredibly pleasant and yeah he's a he's a killer rapper and he's been doing it a long time it's always impressive to see someone build out a sustainable career in music and he has certainly done that for himself and we're gonna kick it off with a track called pain which is off of his father of max record his most recent full-length release and this song features Bosco and April Carson. It took. Everything got a meaning to it. Fast life, high real nigga breezing through it. See the signs of this life with new seasons to it. Dumb shit a nigga can't put no reasons to it. Put life in your lungs, how I'm breathing through it. Therapeutic soul searching got me need music. Honestly, we the voice of the city blocks. Another soul going up, hope the killing stops. Big red, no toes, they the building blocks. We lost Beatles, lost Money, and the boss down. J9, A-Bone, some of the realest gone. It take a piece of my soul in the funeral home. All of the pain and the teardrops. All the trips to the viewings and the grave plots. Niggas, kids, and they mama shed a tear for. And it's more than a notch on a scoreboard. Decisions, lifestyles, had us jail prone. Hopes for the future and a bright spot. Politics of the turf and a tight spot. Niggas blessed past 25. They get to clacking with that 30, ain't no nine lives. And death come a calling, ain't no cash shit. And this street shit is real beyond this rap shit. Punch the time on the clock, ain't no coming back. Slugs a bust through the line like a running back. And we sitting in the pews of the Lord's house. Resorts of a course down the worst route. I'm talking pain, talking deep hurt. Proud of dead niggas all on a t-shirt. Took a piece of my soul and a patch out. God damn, it'll snatch a nigga hard out. Feel pain, yet I must carry on. All we have, I 
My name is Terrence Scott, professionally known as Cool Nuts. I'm 48 years old, was born and raised in Portland, Oregon. Um, still reside in Portland, Oregon. My occupation is uh, a man of many hats in the entertainment world, artist, uh, manager, consultant, event producer, radio host, tour manager, and so much more. Um, my experience growing up and living as a person of color in America has been uh, very diverse, you know, some good, some bad. Um, had the great experience of growing up in Northeast Portland when it was the real Northeast, when there was plenty of culture, um, plenty of African-American families. Um, a lot of my friends and parents had homes in Northeast Portland. Going to your neighborhood school and having a diverse group of friends, um, but being able to experience plenty of, of, of black culture and being surrounded by black families and being able to go out and, and play with your, your friends in the neighborhood and a good amount of them being uh, from black families and being able to relate to your experience. Um, just something that we can't get back a lot of energy that, you know, has been changed due to gentrification and stuff like that. But then there's also the, the negative aspects of, um, of bias, racism, um, being a person of color in certain situations, whether it's on job sites, whether it's going shopping, whether it's in traffic interactions, whether it's simply walking down the streets and having interactions with people that don't understand um, what living in a diverse world is and, and, and mindsets that have been passed down through years and years and years that you still have to experience. So I would say that for the most part, my experience was good but there are aspects of it that, you know, you look back on and you and you see things that, you know, my grandparents would tell me about of being conscious or being aware of, of how people would treat you due to your color, due to the color of your skin. And then witnessing those things, um, being called the N word, um, being treated different in certain situations, whether it's restaurants, whether it's uh, interactions with the police and things like that. But. You know, I've been able to learn from all of that and make the most of my experience in this country and, uh, and and really carve my place out and find my lane, but also be aware that we walk on a different path and, and, and we have to be aware of that. Um, when it comes to uh, how often do I think about my skin color throughout the day, it's that's a constant because you can't take off you can't take off being black. You can't um, walk into a room and say, oh, I'm going to walk out and, and change what I look like. I can't change what my hair looks like. I can't change my lips. I can't change my features. I just can't change the fact that I'm that I'm black. So um, I think about that throughout the day all the time, because as as I walk through into certain rooms and certain situations, you don't get treated the same. You don't get the same regard as certain people. And you do experience bias, even if it's in the slightest of ways or in the slightest means of consideration. Um, so it's hard to not be mindful of that as you move through life every day, especially as an African-American male um, in this country. How have the police and authorities and other citizens in America weaponized or used your skin color against you and your family? Um, that's a crazy thing because even with us being some of the most compassionate people and understanding people, when I say that, I mean, 
African-American or black people, we've felt what persecution feels like. We felt what bias feels like. And in terms of using my skin color against me or my friends or my family, it's tend, it's tend to be used as something that um, they try to say that it carries a negative stigma um, that you steal, that you're a criminal, that you're a gang member, that you're all of these things. Um, if you're a black woman, you're an angry black woman and people try to hold those things against us. But in terms of black women, in terms of black men, we're some of the, you know, some of the, 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 the most gifted people in the world, some of the most skilled people in the world, some of the most, um, like I said, compassionate, loving and, 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 and welcoming people. And I think that's where sometimes it's to our own detriment by being accepting of so many people that um, at times it goes, you know, against us. But I feel like from police to the authorities to other citizens, like there's just that overall bias and racism that exists that has been passed down through years and years and years. And even to the point where at times we second guess ourselves in certain situations as though we did something wrong just by being black or just by walking into a room, even though whether it's a restaurant or anywhere else, you're just going to do the same things that other people do. And you're hoping that you get treated the same way. Um, and that again, your skin color isn't used against you, that it's not used as something uh, for people to <laughs> call the police and say, there's an African-American man threatening me and my dog when it in fact turns out that that African-American man is an Ivy League graduate. So everything isn't always what it appears and what it seems, especially just because you're black. Um, so that's always a, a dangerous thing. Um, and what do I think non-people of color need to know right now? I think that they need to know that these are crazy times right now because everyone's on edge um, they're on edge. We're on edge. And I think there, there there needs to be more understanding. There needs to be more compassion. There needs to be more dialogue about um, what the experience is for black people, for African-American people in this country. And even to this day, um, they need to sometimes step back and realize that it's, it's very, very serious and severe when your life is at risk for the for the most minimal things that you could you could get pulled over by the police and you can get shot. You could be walking down the street and run into uh, people that don't care for you because of your color. And I think that people that aren't, you know, aren't from our, our, our background, they need to understand that you should sometimes take yourself out of the equation and understand how heinous and how foul some of the things are that have been done to black people and African-Americans and that are still uh, still left as remnants of who we are um, as a displaced people. Uh, also, the, the, the effects of, of gentrification, the effects of, of police brutality and uh, a lack of racial understanding, just sometimes step back and, and take, take time to to, to be more mindful of, of, of what's around you and how other people can be impacted by things and just finding more understanding and finding more consideration. And I mean, that's really what I would say. What do I see allies doing that are helpful? 
to the movement and what do I uh, what do I see as dangerous? I think things that are helpful is contributing to the to the cause in a genuine way, spreading the words of of, of understanding, spreading the words of, of of informing yourself and and gaining more knowledge on race relations, gaining more knowledge on the experience of what slavery really meant to people, what p- police brutality means to, to people of color, what uh, the smallest of racial bias means to how it creates anger, how it creates a, a gap, how it creates a divide. Um, having understanding in the workplace of, of how to talk to your co-workers and how to be more understanding and more mindful and compassionate, I think that's what you can do. Um, what I see as being dangerous is ignorance. Um, not understanding things or making things about yourself. Um, Sometimes you have to be selfless. Sometimes you have to put yourself to the side. And when you don't fully understand something, you can move in a way that's ignorant and uninformed. And that can be dangerous. You know, not looking at things, not looking at the full picture of things, not fully understanding the history of things, not fully understanding the impact of things. That ignorance and being oblivious to things can be dangerous. Not being compassionate to someone's struggle can be dangerous. So what our so-called allies can do, and I don't, my thing is I don't even get into the whole allies thing because honestly, I don't feel like if you, if you haven't experienced it, if you ain't lived it, you can't really understand the feeling. You can't really understand how, how deep uh, that racism and bias runs. You can't understand what it's like being called uh, a nigger um, to your face or as someone's riding away from you or as they're driving by. So if you don't understand that, man, you might want to sit off to the side. If you want to understand it, you can probably be more helpful and be an ally. But the whole ally thing, I don't really even get into that because I feel like some people, like when one of those questions when you asked about my skin color, how do I think about it throughout the day? A lot of people that aren't of color, white people per se, they can choose how they move through life. They can choose like whether you smoke meth, whether you were a prostitute, whether you whatever, you can clean up and and you can you can go back to your normal existence. When you're black, you're gonna be black no matter what room you walk in, no matter what restaurant you walk in. So in terms of, of allies, Sometimes, I mean, there are people out there that understand it, but then some people, I don't feel like they can genuinely understand it. Not all of them, some of them, because, and when I say some of them, I'm saying from the perspective of people that want to align themselves in a um, in a radical or revolutionary way and sometimes not fully understand um, what it means, what it means to be black, what it means to be, uh, victimized by the police, what it means to be driving down the street in your car and you have to take your hat off because you don't want the police to think you're a gang member, what it means to run into a racially uh, intolerant person and have a, a dispute with somebody and they say the most ignorant things. Those are the things that you you sometimes can't understand until you walk in those shoes, until you truly put yourself in somebody else's position. And if you're not informed on that, that can be dangerous. Um, how do I think we perpetuate systemic change as a nation? I don't know if that can happen. Um, I don't know if systemic change can happen because 
Certain things are ingrained in people. Certain things are passed down through years and years and years of growing up in a household full of racists, um, being being promoted and perpetuated the image that all black people are thieves and criminals and and uh, all they do is gang bang and, and, and they're not smart. Um, some people will never change that mindset. Um, some will. But what I feel is going to is going to generate systemic change is us as a people, meaning black people, um, pulling our 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 community together more, having our own neighborhoods, having our own sense of community and making sure that we are empowered. And then that way we can push our message in, in a way that it, where it's not ignored, where it's not swept under the rug, where when people like George Floyd or Breonna Taylor or uh, or Ahmaud Arbery are murdered in in plain sight, that we're, you're having to beg for justice. Um, that's I don't. It, it keeps happening. It it, it isn't changing. And uh, I know that we're protesting and protesting and rioting, but to perpetuate systemic change something dramatic and drastic would have to happen for people that have long-standing feelings of racial bias to change that and have understanding and that be on a global level um, that be at a at a system level of of law enforcement and government and stuff like that because um it all stems from law enforcement government the ju the, the judicial system they all work together at times to not to make sure that these police don't get convicted, that they don't go to prison, that they aren't arrested, that they're beating the system. Things like the police union and, and organizations like that that are working in the favor of making sure that that these officers are getting off, that they're they're, they're getting lenient sentences when your average citizen, especially African-American or black, can be caught with a gun or drugs or something else, or even three strikes for shoplifting and get life in prison. When you can you can brutally murder somebody on camera in front of a crowd of people and not go to prison and not go to jail. For that to change, it would take a revamping of the, of the world, of history, a, a changing of man, because I don't feel like I don't feel like that's something that's going to change overnight. What's going to change that is black people having more resources, black people having more influence, having more power, having more say so and um, and being able to affect and impact the system to the point where when justice is justice isn't dealt in the right way, the impact of, of, of what we say and do is is so harsh and powerful that it makes it have to be done. Um, or, or otherwise there'll be repercussions um, the same way that they that they would kill us when we don't adhere to their laws or their rules. That has to be the impact that we are able to have as a people to get justice for 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 our falling. And that's what that's the way that I see it. What do I want to see from people in a position of authority to regain the trust of the community? Genuine love, genuine understanding, genuine support, um, and just a, 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 an uplifting of our people, an understanding of our people, and, and genuinely listening to our cries for help, genuinely being able to step up and prosecute criminals 
that are taking the lives of our citizens, taking the lives of people in our communities, taking the lives of fathers and mothers and daughters and sons and, 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 and all the pain that our people suffer and everything that they go through from the, um, the loss of loved ones and people that they care about. Uh, that's what they need to do to regain the trust of our community. They need to prosecute these officers that are, uh, that are abusing citizens that are, that are supposed to be held to a higher standard and, and not letting the system, um, waver on that, man. That's, 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 that's what's going to regain the trust of the community for, for police officers, for the president, for local politicians, for, for judges, for, for, um, for anybody. You got to stand up for something. You got to speak up for something and you got to show that you genuinely mean it and that you care about the lives of innocent citizens that die at the hands of law enforcement, that die at the hands of racists, where you're not having to go hunt down uh, a man for two months to find uh, justice for him in the case of uh, Ahmad Arbery. Like that's, it's ridiculous. It says that someone's life is, is worth nothing, that they could die in the streets like a dog um, and, and, and die a painful and hurtful death. And, and nothing is going to be done about it. It's, it that's insane. Um, and what does no justice, no peace mean to me? It means that the more that there's no justice, the more you'll have rioting, the more that you'll have protests, the more that you'll have looting is because until people feel that their needs of safety and protection are met, people are going to be on edge. People are going to hurt. They're going to be in pain when they're losing their loved ones, when they're watching people uh, die on TV as a grown man, has, a, has, his, has his knee on the neck of another grown man for nine minutes and nothing is done about it. Um, when they're charged, they're charged with third degree murder, not first degree murder, not aggravated murder. Um, they're charged with lesser charges, which are plead down, which are pled down to something lesser. Um, you won't, you won't, you will continue to have civil unrest until these thousands or hundreds of thousands of people that are out on the streets protesting, that are challenging the police, that are spray painting buildings until they feel that they have what they need in terms of security and safety and peace of mind. And I understand the feeling all too well because I've been there. I've felt it. I've, I've lived it. I've, I've experienced it. So I understand those nights of being angry. And when you feel less than, when you feel that you don't even belong here in this country, that, 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 you're unsettled. There's an unsettling. And it doesn't help when you have the person in charge who would be the president doing some of the most ignorant, insanely ridiculous things on uh, through mass media, through social media, um, being spiteful and vindictive and um, resentful to, to, to everyone and just being an all-out tyrant and rebel and how long will the country tolerate this? It, those continue to be the problems of what we're dealing with. And, and there won't be any peace until all of that is cleaned up, until it's cleared up in a genuine way without all the politics, without all the weirdness, 
without people feeling as though there's a hidden agenda to everything. It has to be genuine. It has to occur in a way that lasts for, for, for generations where there's a cleaning of, of this system. The police aren't going anywhere. That system won't be changed anytime soon. But the, so there has to be something else done. There has to be a, a, a some type of oversight. There has to be a way that uh, these police are vetted. There has to be a way that these politicians are treated uh, uh, as they're brought in. It has to be a standard. And if you don't meet that standard, then you lose your position. Then you lose your 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 position as a judge. You lose your position as a mayor, as a as a governor, as a, a city or county commissioner. You you lose that 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 standard is set for all people. If you're a police officer, um, if you act, if you have, if you participate in acts of violence or or excessive force or or murder even you're going to be addressed and you're going to be treated as a common criminal which is what you become the same people that you work to prosecute is what you end up becoming so until you um until they get to that point where all of these things are cleaned up where people feel uh, they feel peace, they feel love, they feel settled, they feel secure, that black people and African-Americans and other people of color, uh, uh, Latinos and everyone can walk in this in, in, in cities all across the country and world for that matter and feel that they won't be harassed, that they won't be treated different when they're shopping, that they won't be treated as thieves, that they won't be treated as, uh, as second-class citizens. That's when you'll have peace. And until that is, is done in a genuine way, you're going to continue to have the stuff that you have, especially when you have demonstrations of, 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 of racial uh, bias and, 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 and murder and, and other actions that are so foul and distasteful and they're broadcast on TV. You're watching black men being shot down and choked to death and suffocated and, and everything under the sun. And there's no radical response to that. That's when you'll have peace, when that shit stops. So I don't have anything else to say. Hopefully what I said is helpful. And this is from a passionate place because as a 48-year-old black man, I've lived it, I've seen it, I've experienced it. And, um, and I'm talking from... I'm talking from experience of what I've what I've seen and lived and 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 been you know um, submitted to. So you know, I wish everybody the best. I hope that there's a solution to all of this. I hope that there's a possible way for everybody to come together as human beings and be understanding and compassionate and loving of one another and understanding of everybody's struggle, whether it's African Americans, whether it's Jewish people, Middle Eastern people, Asian people, everybody has endured struggles. But right now, black people, for some strange reason, are being dealt the hand of racial bias that even existed back in the 60s, man. So some of this stuff has to change. It has to be corrected and it has to be fixed. Uh, that's what I have to say. And uh, hopefully... Uh, it touches somebody's soul and, and the spirit. Uh, peace. Matt Randall, 32 years old, born in St. John's, currently live in North Portland. 
think about my skin color every day. Um, just based off the simple fact that I'm biracial, so I'm both African-American and Caucasian. Um, obviously two races that have a serious history of dislike and disdain for each other. Um, so I remember being a younger kid and, and kind of being confused by that as uh, are a lot of biracial kids. Um, but I just realized that my experience growing up in Portland, Oregon, I've experienced both sides, um, but I know that if the police were to pull me over, they're not gonna see me as a biracial man. They'll see me as a black man and, and they won't hesitate. Right now, I wanna thank the allies. Definitely wanna thank the allies. I wanna thank those that are out there protesting, putting their, their selves and their lives on the line um, to fight this cause. You know, you, you're brave, you, you know, there's nothing you can say about it. And I really appreciate you. Um, I, I got a chance to go to one protest so far and um, I really enjoyed how peaceful it was and, and the energy that was there. Um, you know, I definitely look forward to being out there more and being out there on the front lines with people as well. Um, so I appreciate you guys. Just keep doing that keep spreading the word. Um, keep spreading businesses to support um, information uh, you know, just things of that nature. Those are the best things you could do right now. Just do not spread any misinformation. Um, as far as things I see dangerous, I see celebrities, people that are tone deaf and not knowing the full scope of what it is to be an African-American or a person of color in America. Um, I think those people need to just really just be quiet. If you don't have something that's gonna help the cause. You know, even though staying silent is, is not saying nothing, but at the same time, we'll know what it is and you won't sound so tone deaf and, and ignorant. Definition of no justice, no peace to me, uh, I think is what you're seeing right now in America. People are tired, people are fed up with losing their family members, their brothers, mothers, sisters, fathers, aunties, cousins, etc. We're tired of it. And with this uh, recent passing of George Floyd and, and Breonna Taylor, and so many others, um, you're seeing people that are tired and they're outraged and we are not gonna be at peace until those that are, that are at fault and the ones that have done this, these unspeakable crimes that continue to keep getting away with it, we're not gonna be at peace with it until there's justice. And, um, you know, I, I just, again, I wanna commend everyone that is out there on the front lines fighting for change. And I really hope there will be a time where we can see change and we won't have to deal with this anymore. Um, God bless everyone involved. God bless the families. God bless the families of the victims. Um, we're praying for you. Chris, uh, most people in Portland know me as uh, Rufus Small Towns, 
I'm doing uh, hip hop shows in the area and whatnot. Um, I'm 31. I was born in uh, Tacoma, Washington, about 30 minutes south of Seattle. I grew up in Olympia, uh, the capital city, uh, about 30 minutes south of that. Uh, but I currently reside in southeast Portland. So basically, I mean, where I grew up, like, you know, it's pretty mostly white, <laughs> like most uh, northwest cities. But, uh, you know, all in all, it was cool. Like, um, you know, it was mostly all good experiences. I think as I've gotten older and looking back, um, I think when you're, you know, when you're preschool and, and kindergarten, elementary school, you know, kids are mostly just kids. Everyone kind of gets along for the most part. You know, it's not really, I don't think nothing, you know, I didn't have anything traumatic happen. But I think as I got older, you look back and you see stuff that was kind of weird or like things that, um, you know, knowing that this, you get older, you know, and you realize just the way, you know, this is what you learn your history, what this country is built on. You, know, you learn about racism and all that, but it's hard, I think, as a kid to really apply a lot of that stuff t until you can look back. Like, for instance, I had like situation, um, one I can remember is, uh, in elementary school, we had reading buddies where the grade, you read books to the grade below you. So I was in third or fourth grade and everyone picks a reading buddy. And and it was weird because when it happened, it's like everyone just kind of, it was like musical chairs. Everyone just kind of ran and grabbed someone. And I'm being the only black kid in class. It's me and then one other kid that basically stuck standing in the middle uh, was a, a friend of mine. Shouts out to Raul, my homie growing up. Uh, but he was Hispanic. He was, you know, Mexican. He didn't, uh, his family could hardly speak English. And it was just funny how naturally, you know, all the kids just gravitate to someone who looks like them. And with me and him being the only two just kind of stand out, we kind of became cool. So it's like little stuff like that that's not, you know, it's just you naturally kind of gravitate to people that look like you have the same interests. But even at that young of a level, um, that was something that, just, you know, as I got older, stuck out to me. And then other things as I got older, like I would have, I mean, I had a very diverse group of friends, you know, white, black, um, you know, I had one of my best friends, a Vietnamese friend, lived right behind me. Uh, you know, I was cool with everybody and we all got along, but there was, you know, some stuff was, you know, like certain of my white friends, their parents didn't, were weird about me hanging out or, you know, we hang out their house and then uh, you know, hey, you know, can I spend the night? And they'd be kind of like, eh, when other kids, you know, would be like, no problem. So there's little things that kind of, you know, they, like I said, at the time, it's just kind of like whatever. But as you get older, you look back like, damn, that was kind of, you know, you, you, you know, the stuff, weird looks you get, you know, simple stuff, getting followed around the grocery store, whatever, like all that type of stuff happened to me, you know. So, um, but like I said, I, you know, it wasn't. I wouldn't say any like overt racism, uh, you know, right off the top of my head, but um, yeah, that was something just as far as, you know, on the race aspect of growing up out here. This question, uh, how often do you think about your skin color throughout the day? Uh, you know, it's weird when I saw this, uh, the question, I was, it's funny, it's one of those, you really, it, it's, uh, you think about it all the time, kind of, like you growing up, like I said, being when you're especially in the minority of, you know, the only black kid in your class or 
or in your grade in some instance or whatever like um it's it's like something you don't it's it's like it's almost like involuntary it's like breathing or blinking or something like you as you get older and you grow up you kind of just know the naturally like there's certain you know uh Maybe even a way you have to change how you talk or you're going to say certain stuff around, depending on who you're around, just to make people more comfortable. Like, you know, going back to, like I said, growing up, hanging out with my white friends, if I would go to their house, you know, um, not that of like trying to be fake or because I was polite to everyone's parents. That's just the way I was brought up. But like there's an extra level of not, you know, you don't want to say any crazy shit. You know, it was like a lot of sir and ma'am and this and that and and uh even now to this day, like I, you know, just walking down the street, like you try to not to look as least threatening as possible. Um, and you kind of end up doing that over time just as a natural reaction. So it's not that you're necessarily thinking about the skin color every day. It's just growing up in a certain environment. It just kind of becomes a part of who you are to where I think if you live in the opposite environment, um, you know, if everyone looks like you, it just doesn't, you know, it just doesn't really come up. Um, on another note, too, just as I was thinking about this, we're talking about growing up. Uh, I was also really fortunate growing up that um, during the summer we would go visit the East Coast. I had parents in the East. Uh, my grandparents lived on the East Coast in North Carolina, and my mom found it really important for us to go back there every summer. We'd spend like the whole summer from like all through elementary school and into middle school um, back east, and there it was the exact opposite. Everyone was black in the area, <clears throat> excuse me, we were at. So um, it was very like refreshing. It was cool to go back and be like, oh wow, like everyone everyone looks like you. It, it, it's weird, you don't realize what that does for your psyche and for your, you know, just overall well-being. Cause um, another thing I noticed that happened to me growing up, especially from going from middle school to high school, there was, uh, it was a lot more black kids and Hispanic kids once you got to high school as the schools merged. And just as the area I grew in Taiwan on became a little more diverse. And I found myself naturally gravitating more towards, uh, you know, my friends like that. Cause there's things that we just could share and we could, you know, things we had in common, you know, weird little thing, just like the, I was talking about earlier with the, you know, parents not wanting to stay at the house where like another black kid, you could like relate to some of that stuff where your white friends couldn't. And I know some of my friends, my white friends at the time, kind of, you know, they kind of, I could feel kind of like a resentment, like, oh, you changed a little bit, or you don't want to hang out with us anymore, kind of thing. And it wasn't like a personal, it's just you naturally have that of, you want to be around people that look like you, you know? And I think it might be the same way if you were a white kid to grow up in an all-black neighborhood or all-Hispanic neighborhood. As soon as another white kid moves in that neighborhood and comes to your school, like, y'all become friends, you know, just as a natural... Like, I had to do that in my school. Uh, one of my best friends growing up, uh, shout out to Lee, that's my guy. Um, he moved from Virginia, and when I was in the East Coast, you know, I went to Virginia, North Carolina when I was younger, and he moved here, and it was like, we knew a lot of the same places from back East. Like, oh, you know about this? Oh, you know. And he came from an area that was rough, and, you know, his first day in school, any dirty looks, anyone looked at him wrong, he's ready to fight people and all this. And my family, having grown up there, you know, pretty much my whole life, my household kind of became a, a safe haven for, you know, uh, black kids in the area that would move to Olympia. 
as like, oh, you know, it's like there are black people here. You know what I mean? Like, uh, you know, you're not the only black kid in school type of thing. So, um, yeah, sorry, I kind of went off on a tangent there. That was kind of a mixture of both questions. But yeah, stuff like that, like there's just little things that, like I said, in real time as it's happening, you don't think about it. But like I said, you get into high school and you really see how much race plays in, in a lot of things. So this is number four. How have police, authorities, other citizens of America weaponized your skin killer to use against you and your family? Um, you know, me in particular, um, I mean, I had, you know, issues with police. It was usually, uh, actually, I, I remember this one time of we were just out late and we had got pulled. We were just walking, you know, our friends. We were out on heights. I might have been eighth, ninth grade. I can't remember. But, uh, and... The cop had just stopped us and asked what we were doing. We were out like one, two in the morning. We were just being, you know, kids, whatever, wandering the neighborhood. We'd sneak out of the house or something. Uh, not doing anything criminal, but, you know, you know, you kids doing out this late type of thing. And I remember seeing my white friends really shocked on how I, all the questions were geared towards me. And all, the, you know, do you know this person is so-and-so? And it's like, you know, nothing happened. Um, but... It was it was funny for them to see like later on we got home like wow like why were they so on you and I was just like this I don't know this is just a it's just how it is like it was so foreign to them but to me it was it was I mean you just used to it I don't know like in my household you know we grew up learning about the civil rights movement and 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 learning you know just the history of the country from slavery and and, and from peonage you know like in school growing up it was always you know that you learned about slavery or whatever a little bit and then you jump to the civil rights movement and I was always like well wasn't you know there's a 80 year period you know however long you know 60 80 year period but they don't even talk about where it's like in the you know early teens and 20s and 30s and 40s where it's like you know we didn't have hardly any rights so and I always felt weird that that never got uh, they don't teach that in school, you know, they don't really put that out there to, like, it took a long time to get from slavery to, you know, where we're at now, which still isn't really equal by any means, but, like, and I don't think that's taught enough to, to really show people the progress, you know, that it's not like an overnight thing where one day it's slavery and the next week, oh, it's all good and everyone's equal. It's like ingrained in our, in our systems in, in the country. And, uh, but, Anyway, going back to as far as weaponizing your skin color, like for me, the biggest thing I think was my my granddad and hearing stories of stuff he had to go through, um, you know, about just growing up, how hard it was for him with just not uh, he was in the service and he was actually in the, the military police and he became a state patrol officer. So I see a lot of these issues from both sides. Um you know, from being a, a officer and being that, but um, not to get off topic, but um, with him, he seeing like he telling me stories of having to go, you know, driving with his family and having to go town after town after town till he could find a hotel that would even let him stay there, you know, like, uh, you know, that would allow blacks to stay there. So and having to explain that to his family as he's trying to provide for his family and work, you know, stuff like that, where I can see, I mean, that's just one off the top there's probably so many um for him in particular 
um, of how the U.S. kind of, you know, they, it's just, it's hard. It's a different narrative. And it's hard for, I think, people that aren't black to see that sometimes. Because it's just, when you live in an area, especially in an area that's not as diverse as some other country, places in the country, um, it's just, it's not only really blame them for not seeing, they just don't know. A lot of it's like just, you know, shit people don't know. What do you think of non-people of color need to know right now? I think just what I was just talking about. Uh, it's just listening, really. The number one thing is listening. You got to listen to people. Um, I remember uh, another random side story, uh, but it has to do with kind of the same thing. Of Growing up, uh, I switched high schools. Uh, halfway through high school, I went to an alternative school, and they had a different grading system. It wasn't like A, Bs, and Cs. It was like you, they had... Uh, just a more variety of stuff to learn about and how they applied it to, you know, regular school. But one of the big things they had was cultural awareness. Every week we'd have a cultural awareness uh, thing. And I'll never forget this girl um, went up there and she spoke about, uh, she was a Japanese girl. I would known her since elementary school. There's someone in the neighborhood I've always known. And she started telling a story about her getting beat up um, back, I mean, real young and, you know, fourth and fifth grade and calling her a Jap and all this and having beat up and they left just like stuff that I had known her forever she was the sweetest girl I'd never known like I'd never knew that I was like wow I always kind of looked at her as basically pretty much being white um because she clearly was like of Asian descent but she wasn't like you know I, I didn't I feel like she didn't stick out as much as I did and to hear that from her and we were in the same school we knew the same people um, you know, we didn't really hang out, we, you know, elementary school, but to hear that from her, it's like, it's just, you know, you just got to listen to people because everybody's story is different. So whether you're a person of color, um, and especially if you're white, especially if you are, you got to you, really it's just about listening and and taking notes from the people that are going through it and learning how you can help, um, you know, basically just that through listening. Um what do you see allies doing uh, that are helpful in the movement? And what do you see as dangerous? Um, yeah, going back to what I said, the number one thing is listening. I think just listening to people, listening to people's stories, uh, learning your history, I think is the number one thing. I think people really get caught up in thinking, you know, history was, you know, 100 years ago, 400 years ago. You got to learn all that up until 10 years ago, up until 20 years ago. Uh, you know, learning about legislation, look up the numbers, you know, don't don't get caught in a bubble of, you know, this is how it is for me. Um, you know, that's kind of easy stuff without going uh, easy stuff. You know, it doesn't have to be um, <clears throat> broken down, it's just kind of common sense. Um, but, you know, I'm all for the people out protesting and, and doing that. Um, as far as what I see is dangerous. Uh, you know, it's just being, you know, uh, closed minded or people that uh, I don't know. Sometimes it's nice to see people out there and really taking the front lines and taking a stand and all that. But doing it for the right reasons, too. I think we live in an era of, you know, people want to do stuff just to be seen or, you know, look what I'm doing for this. And look. it's more about the shit that you do, like behind closed doors, like. You know, it's cool if I see you out doing stuff and blah, 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 but you gotta, it's gotta be a way of life. It's gotta be something that you're really about. Don't just be out there just cause you think it's what you're supposed to do or you think like, you know, 
when we talk about allies, we need real allies, you know, people that are really about the cause, really about standing up for injustice because they understand that's injustice and they understand right from wrong, not because you just want to be out there. I think that is, can be really dangerous because you get a lot of fake, it's just like having fake friends and fake, you know, you know, that, that there's always that white dude that, you know, oh, my black friend, so-and-so, you know, it's like those people sometimes you got to watch out for because it's like, you know, and then there's other people that are like, you know, I don't see color and that's bullshit too. Like you got to understand that there is a difference and you got to really understand the injustice. So sometimes those people that are too, you know, I don't see color and we're all equal and kumbaya, it's like, you know, that's, that's, that's not our reality all the time. So I think you need to be aware of that and, you know, knowing when to speak up and, and when to shut up, you know. Um, how do you think we can perpetuate systems, uh, systemic changes as a nation? Uh, damn, I don't know if you want to put this one in there for me, Dan. I, uh, I mean, I hate to say that, I, you know, like sometimes seeing all the shit that's going on, you almost kind of feel hopeless a little bit. Like, because this shit's been going on forever. I mean, there's been riots in the 60s, 70s, 80s. It was the LA riots and then, you know, the Trayvon Martin stuff and Eric Garner and all that. And everyone stood up for a while and then it kind of tapered off. And so, you know, as far as systemic change, it's, I don't really have a great answer for that one. Just because it's, I mean, there's just so much work that needs to be done through laws and through, you know, legislation, um, you know, police reform, prison reform. There's just so many layers. And then even just to the general person, you know, I try to talk to people. You got to engage with people that you don't see eye to eye with. I think we get stuck a lot of times in, in, in just being with people with similar ideas and and you think like me i think and they end up everyone just kind of clicks up and it's just a bunch of gangs and you don't get as much accomplished i think it's important that we engage with people that don't think like us and that's i think more how you get systemic change otherwise you just have the same two sides button heads and you know i think we need more <clears throat> you know just like we forget like everything's just made up of a bunch of people you know there's white people that are super messed up and 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 got cr crazy views about stuff and racism and all that you got black people that are you know that are model citizens either like it's all across the board there's cops i'm sure that are out here trying to do you know just do their job and do the right thing and you got a lot that aren't i think the biggest problem is the cops that are doing the job need to start standing up for us and not hiding behind the shield and being like of a cop first. You got to be a person first and an individual first, and and put your morals and 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 all those things first. Otherwise, you're not gonna change anything. Cause you know, it starts with you and the people around you and your friends and your family and your, and it's got to grow out from there. Um. You know. It's it's just yeah that's a that's a tough one for me man it's, it's a lot of steps to that one a lot of steps to that one um I'm on number eight here so what do you see people in position of authority uh to regain trust or what do you want to see from okay yeah from officers um basically 
you know, the same thing. I, I think the biggest thing for me is, is, you know, police reform, obviously, is number one, prison reform, stuff like that. But, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's really hard to get that shit done, you know, from my personal experience. Like I said, one of the things growing up, uh, my grandfather being uh, in the military police and was a state patrol officer, um, one of the first black state patrol officers in Washington, um, you know, uh, like, you know, seeing it from both sides, but it's, it's hard. Cause like we had a situation some years back, uh, before my grandpa passed where a cop shot someone, it was in Olympia. I forget the situation was, it was kids. They, I don't know, they stole beer or something. One of them had a skateboard cop felt threatened. Anyway, these kids ended up getting shot. It was a, you know, it's a bad situation, you know, just a lot similar to shit that's going on right now, you know. Um, but I think what's what's really hard is, um, you know, my my grandfather and other uh, people that were in the service that in the community, um, you know, uh, they had got together and and kind of put together a plan for the Olympia Police Department for reform and it's it's just really tough because there's you know cops don't want to be looked at as if like they're doing something wrong you know you always see the argument of you know understanding you know how hard their job is and you know they put their lives online you know for everyone every day and blah 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 but you got to get the right like you know not everybody's built to be a fucking cop i don't think you know i don't hate all cops necessarily i think there's some out there that's you know they're trying to do like like i said earlier it's just people trying to do the best they can but with the with the higher ups you know it's like who you're hiring how you're training them you know all that needs a huge reform but um it's hard because like i said in the situation that i'm talking about in olympia you know we had people come to the table and not just you know you have to come with ideas you have to come with a plan you can't just say you know we need please you need to be very specific and in the situation uh, in Olympia, my grandfather was talking to him because the state patrol, um, they were very big on, on protect and serve, you know, um, that like protecting the people and, and, you know, proper policing where so they and they didn't have the same number you know, of issues with with police brutality and people getting shot, you know, whether it's accidental or whatever the situation was. Um, it was more just about, you know, just like just protecting, protecting the people. But it's crazy, though, because when they when they brought that situation to the table and they were like, you know, here's what we're doing that's limiting these things from happening. And here's what you're doing that are, you know, escalating these things or techniques or whatever it is. You know, the uh, Olympia Police Department, they didn't want to hear it. It was like they don't want to be looked at as if they're doing something wrong. They don't want to be looked at like, you know, people want to, you know, there's always the argument of, uh, <clears throat> of, uh, you know, police, like, you know, it's a hard job and, and, you know, we put our lives on the line and all that, which, you know, we understand, but it's like, it's, it is a hard job. It's a, it's a tough fucking job. Like, like you need the best of the best of the best doing this. We need the people that understand it from all angles and not just someone out here that's, you know, looking for a paycheck doing the, you know, it's like you got to look at it the same way we look at uh, important jobs. You you know, if you want if you got someone doing 
you know, open heart surgery or some shit like that. Like you want, it needs to be someone that you, you know, you really trust and really, you know, so we need to hold the police officers to that standard. But it's hard when the system even itself, when the departments and the police chiefs and things like that, they don't want to be looked at as like, we're doing something wrong. I'm doing a bad job. So it's always that, you know, protect the shield type of attitude. So, um, it's hard to get past those humps because, like I said, I've just seen it firsthand where we, you know, I've been, or not me in particular, but, you know, my grandfather, when this was going on, was like, he was in positions to make changes and to make reform. And it was very hard to get that through to the people that were already in power um, to change what they were doing. Because, you know, oh, we had this incident and that. And it's like, no, you have it because you're not, you know, you don't have the right officers out there doing the right things. You don't have the training in place. Um, you know, so there's, there's, you know, it's never going to be perfect. You're never going to get 100% one way or the other. But uh, it's, it's, it's really hard for me when you talk about what, you know, officers need to do now or what the legislation need to do now. Because there's so many layers with it that's systemic when it comes to just how people view black people in general. And then you throw the, you know, the aspect of just a cop's job on top of that. And, you know, it's just it's just rough. It's just like you have so many, there's no, you know, but the, the stuff we're seeing now with, you know, cops killing people, which I mean, I shouldn't say now, it's always been going on, um, is, uh, you know, I mean, it's just wrong. It's not, it's blatant. It's blatant stuff that, you know, human life, black, white, whatever, aren't being taken into account. It's, you know, people that shouldn't be, in my opinion, just shouldn't be fucking cops. Plain and simple. And 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 the system doesn't really care about that because they about protecting themselves. And America's always been in the business of, you know, you know, black lives don't matter. Basically, you know, when even going back to the Constitution when it was first writ was you know, <clears throat> first written. Excuse me, you know, was you know, black people were three fifths of a human being. And it's ideas like that that are just ingrained in our system. Even though you can you can change all the laws you want and change everything, and you know we're all equal, blah blah blah. But you know it, like, it comes back to people. People are people. They're just who they are. And there's so many people in our in our society and in the system that's ingrained in them to where uh, you know one life is is more important than another's. And unfortunately, you know. People of color, we find ourselves on the on the bottom of that, of that totem pole a lot. So I, I I hope you know there's things we can do. I have you know ideas, and I know ideas have been brought to the table, but getting them through is tough, man. Uh, number nine, yeah. So what uh, what does no justice, no peace mean to you? You know, it's it's another weird one because I think it, it's. I mean, it's pretty flat out without you know. Without the proper justice and the proper equality, you can't have peace. You're always going to have shit bubble over, you know. And that's just in general. You got the haves and the have-nots. That's just, uh, you know, you can't have one without the, without the other. But uh, it's, you know, it's a weird one for me a little bit because um, it's just, like I said, it's hard to see this shit happen over and over again and people riding Shit getting burned down, and then, you know, like I said, 20, 30 years later, how much progress have we really made? So, um, and, you know, I hear a lot of people, especially now, um, you know, the, you know, 
you know, we're going to, you know, you know, we're going to eat the rich and all this and, 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 you know, this revolutionary talk. But I think especially for people, you know, my age and, and younger and, and, you know, we've lived in America in a generation where it's by no means, you know, equal to what we think it is, to what people think it is and, and all that. But it's hard when we really start talking like that, when I, a lot of people in my generation haven't lived through some of the really harsh stuff, you know, some of the, um, I think it's very easy from a certain position to say no justice, no peace and, and, and mean it. Um, but you know, like I said, I go back to a lot of my stories was from just talking to my grandfather, you know, and the shit that he lived through. Um, I remember one of the, uh, one of the conversations we had, um, about, we talked about segregation you know, I learned a lot. I, I was learning a lot about, you know, Black Wall Street um, and the situation that happened in Tulsa. Anyone who doesn't know that, you know, go look that shit up. But, uh, you know, and just about and, and I, you know, looking around, you know, just the, the country and how they have, you know, there's there's like Chinatowns, you know, in every major city. And there's there's certain areas, you know, Little Haiti, whatever. And I'm like, what, you know. Why doesn't that like black folks don't have our own? You know, I asked my grandpa, like, why? Like, would it have just been better off if we have stayed segregated? Because at least we would have some shit that was ours. Even if it, you know, wasn't as as much as whatever else, at least we can have something that we that's that's ours. And I think that's one of the biggest things that's missing um, from black folks in this country, because we started so far behind, not even just as immigrants, but as slaves. And I asked him that, you know, and it was, you know, he was like, I hear you and I understand where you're coming from. But uh, like I said, I was asking that question through I hadn't lived through segregation to where he had. And he's like, I know it may feel that way, but to come from where where he was to to where we are now, um, you know, he was like, you didn't have to do the stuff of, uh, you know, driving from from, you know, city to city state to state just to find a hotel they would let you stay in you know um places you couldn't shop at places you couldn't go like period you know my grandfather had he was in the service he worked his way up he had money to he could get houses in all types of neighborhoods but they would only show him um you know houses in in black neighborhoods where you know it was predominantly black and he's like well no i want i got enough money to live where you at show me where you where you live at and he actually ended up having a call uh, DC. He had to get a phone call to Washington DC to for them to send out a realtor to 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 show him to get a house in a neighborhood that he wanted of his choosing. And it's so crazy like that. And I was just in like, you know, 70s, 80s. So this wasn't like, you know, some ancient history. So uh, you know, f- to see it through his eyes and for him to, you know, and and I was like, you know, he was like, trust me, as as, as messed up as things are. He's like, you know, we got to keep working through change that way. You know, we got to have everybody involved. And and so, you know, I was at a point in my life where I really was felt felt that. Where I was like, you know, I just think we need to have our own shit, you know. Um, I, I grew up, you know, reading the first book I read was Mal- Autobiography of Malcolm X. And how, you know, early on in his, he was, you know, black and, and black only, you know. He didn't want any, you know, white people even being involved, you know best thing you can do is stay out of the way, you know, and, and I think, you know, now, you know, we can't, I think we're kind of past that point, you know, 
And I think integration at the end of the day, it is good. And we all need to be involved and working towards the same goal instead of button heads. But with the whole, you know, no justice, no peace, it's, it's, I'm all for it. And I understand the sentiment of it, but I think a lot of times, I don't think people are really completely all the way down with, you know, with what no peace really is. And, you know, you talk to people that, you know, were born, you know, overseas and war-torn countries and, you know, you got to worry about, you know, bombs and shit going off. You know, I mean, there's some places in America that are, you know, just impoverished as other places in the world. But when you really talk about no peace to that level of, you know, you know, when you get into civil war and shit, there's a lot of shit that we didn't live through and we didn't have to see. So um, I think the idea is in the right place. But I think sometimes people need to be, you know, not to say if it comes to, you know, bloodshed in the streets and all that, you know, so be it. And it, and it may come to that at one point, you know, I mean, it, it has in some ways, but um, I still think it's more important to find a way for, you know, working through peace or, you know, finding justice through peace. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of funny. One of my one of my favorite Tupac quotes uh, he was talking about, um, you know, about, you know, where you starve and, and have nothing and yet, you know, you see food being thrown all around in front of you. Um, it was a long quote. You know, he talked about a lot of stuff. But in the end, he was just talking about how, you know, we were we were asking with the civil rights movement and, you know, our ancestors were asking with the Black Panthers. And now, you know, the shit still continues. And it's like, what are we supposed to do? Ask? Like, and, and, I, and I really vibe with that. <clears throat> Uh, you know, for the most part, but it's just, it's, it's it, and that's why, you know, shit's crazy like it is now, and people are wilding out, because they, they're done asking, people are done asking for change, like, you know, we've asked so many times, and we've protested so many times, and, you know, I'm 100% for all the peaceful protests, and, you know, I'm 110% with all that, but, you know, it's not just about asking, and it's not just about, you know, no no justice, no peace. It's like, we need justice and we have to demand it. And hopefully we can demand it through like real change and legislation and police reform and have, you know, laws and things actually get passed that, that are meaningful. Not just like passing a law. Like, like I said, you can pass anything you want. You can pass all the laws, but it's just people. We all people at the end of the day and the people have to uphold that amongst themselves. So it's, it's, there's, there's, like I said, there's so many layers to change and, and it starts, it's with everybody, you know, every individual has to do it, white, black, everyone has to be on it, but, you know, and, and, and white people, it's nice to see white people really at the forefront for, you know, I've seen some of these been, you know, been down to these protests and, and, you know, they out here and they understand there's a lot of people that do, but it's getting those people into the system a change in the system that's where the hurdles are really hard to overcome um but i you know i hope we can i think i think it's possible i think we can do it it's going to take a lot of work and it's not going to end you know today tomorrow the next day next month next year people have to continue you know this can't be a hot another one of those just hot moments in time and hot spots where everyone goes yeah we know we want this and all that we really got to do it. Like, we know how to do step one and two. It's the step three, four, and five that I think need to be implemented now. So, um, you know, 
I think we just have, you know, we can do what we can, have peaceful protests, but it's, a, you know, it's just that it's a hard line because motherfuckers going to be out here doing what they want to do. That's <laughs> just like what it is. Uh, they gonna people are gonna wild out and people are gonna express their frustrations in in different ways. So um, you know, as far as no justice, no peace. Yeah, we need justice. It's just it's not really a, like my opinion on it. Really doesn't matter. It's like if there's no justice, there's never gonna be peace. But I think as a people, we can we can you know we can find ju- there is a path. I think that we can find justice through peace. And, you know, and we can get to where we need to be. But like I said, the number one thing is we got to listen. People outside of, you know, a certain community, you got to listen to what others are saying and what others are talking about. Because it's real, you know, just like I talked to my mother the other day and just like growing up, you know, her worrying about anything. Just me going to school, even me now, just driving to work, doing this. Like she's always like, be safe and. You know, we have to worry about that on a completely different level than, you know, the majority, you know, or whatever white population of the other countries. So, um, so let's, you know, everybody speak up. Let your voice be heard. If you're not at the protest, you know, you got to vote in the right people. You know, study. Education is big. Look at who who's, who's you know, running for office in your area. Look who's running. Look what policies they support. You know, and and pay attention to the people that know. Pay attention to cops that are good cops that are really trying. You know what I mean? Like what? Like they supposed to be on our side. What can we do? Don't just protect the cop next to you because y'all got the same job. Like, like hold everyone accountable. You know, and that's just what we're doing right now is we're trying to hold everybody accountable. Um, but like I said, these flames been burning for for. Hundreds of years, man, and it's and you know it's gonna take a lot to douse it out, but I, I think we can. hip-hop rap music in the beginning or a song like Grandmaster Flash is the message where basically they were saying you know it's like a jungle sometimes I wish you know I wonder how I keep from going under the whole root of what that song was was basically saying look these are the problems here you know and here we are 10 years or plus later the problems are still still there and the intensity of the music has built to the no hope the I don't give a attitude Uh, how did we get from from Grandmaster Flash the message to where we are now in in hip hop? Um, again, you have to be logical. You know, if if I know that in this hotel room they have food every day, and I'm knocking on the door every day to eat, and they tell and they open the door, let me see the, the party, let me see like them throwing salami all over the, I mean just like throwing food around, where they're telling me there's no food in here. You know what I'm saying? Every day. I'm standing outside trying to sing my way in, you know what I'm saying, 
We are hungry, please let us in. We are hungry, please let us in. After about a week, that song is going to change the we hungry, we need some food. After two, three weeks, it's like, you know, give me all the food, we're working out the door. And after a year, and you're just like, you know what I'm saying, I'm picking the lock, coming through the door, blasting, you know what I'm saying? It's like you hungry, you reached your level, you don't want any more. We asked 10 years ago. We was asking with the Panthers. We was asking with them, you know, the civil rights movement. We was asking, you know, now that those people that were asking, and they're all dead and in jail. So now what do you think we're going to do? Hi, my name is Joshua Zomrahanik. I'm 32 years old. I was born in Suva, Fiji. And I currently reside in Portland, Oregon. Before I get into answering some of these questions, uh, I have a prepared statement um, that I'd like to make on my behalf just to let y'all know a little bit about me. So, here you go. The other night I was walking my dog and I thought to myself, if even one of my neighbors finds this suspicious enough to call the police, I could die tonight. That's something no person should ever have to think, and I guarantee you it's something almost every POC in this country has thought in their life. I'm scared to walk my dog at night because of the color of my skin. I'm scared to do a lot of things because of the color of my skin. Even driving my car stresses me out because of how many times I've been harassed by police. That's our constant reality. That's our perpetual trauma injected into our being over years of seeing people that look like us, treated like we're less, less human because of the color of our skin. This is nowhere near the first time that I've been made to feel ashamed of my skin, but this moment in time is the most ashamed I've felt in my life. And that shame makes me feel guilty because as a person of color, the one thing you're not supposed to do is let anyone tarnish your armor, much less let them know about it. But I'm tired of the facade. I'm tired of acting like my heart isn't breaking more and more every day. A human being can only take so much pain before the cracks begin to turn into chasms that allow the trauma we've suppressed for a lot of people's comfort to flow freely. Those fires in the streets seem like nothing compared to the fire that's been in us that has been left burning unchecked for centuries. I was adopted by two white parents that I love very much and that allowed me to become my own man. That does not make me white. No cop has ever asked me what color my parents were before they put me on the ground. My adoption did not equate to receiving their privilege. I'm a brown man in America, and I'm scared for my safety every day, whether it come in the form of police brutality, racism, or any of the hundreds of other forms of oppression that remind me that I am not white on a daily basis. I'm grateful for my allies from both the POC and white communities. We may never live to see a world, <clears throat> excuse me, we may never live to see the world become the place we want it to be, but I promise you that it never has a chance if we don't come together right now. Please, listen to POCs with an open mind and heart, hear our experiences, and really try to absorb our realities. Stop fetishizing our cultures and individuals for their entertainment value or because black or brown are cool to you. It is not helpful. 
And honestly, you're perpetuating minstrel stereotypes. Above all, please love harder and truer than you ever have before and stand up to injustice every single time that you feel its insidious presence. This is what we have to do together or face or risk facing a future where there is no we, only us and them. Thank you for listening. Peace and love. All right, now, answer some questions. First one, what has been your experience growing up and living as a POC in America? Uh, My personal experience has been one of uh, assimilation and the discomfort that comes along with that. Uh, Growing up in Oklahoma, it's an area where there aren't a lot of brown people. Um, And I was constantly reminded of that growing up. Uh, And it just becomes hard being different and having people ask you questions like, what are you, all the time. And uh, so to combat that, you try to not be as different as possible. And, uh, you know, assimilation is a tough thing. It's a survival tactic that I think a lot of people have deployed from time to time, but to have to learn it at such a young age was, you know, hard. It was hard growing up, being brown and not knowing how to feel about my skin and feeling uncomfortable the entire time and happy that over time my family and friends and amazing partner have allowed me to feel more comfortable in that skin, but, um, you know, it's still something I struggle with every day. All right, second question. Uh, what do you think non-POCs need to know right now? Uh, I think non-POCs need to understand that this process is going to take a lot of listening with open hearts and open minds. If you're uncomfortable, that's good. That means you're challenging your privileges and breaking down the invisible barriers that are keeping you from understanding how completely different everyday existence is for us. You could never fully understand, but listening is a great start. This is a fight we can't win on our own. Y'all make up the majority, so if you really believe the systemic racism and oppression of minorities in this country, or really any country for that matter, is wrong, and you need to use your voice and take a stand. You can march with us, uh, use your vote to remove corrupt or racist politicians, study up on Citizens United and why it's completely fucked, call and write your city officials, uh, donate to BLM, donate to uh, NLG, bail bond funds, or any organization you see fit to put your money behind. Uh, Most importantly, Challenge injustice anytime you see it, whether it's a stranger on the street or your closest friend. Don't just post on social media and say you took a stand. It's completely lazy and it undermines the work of real people who have put their lives into this movement. There's real change on the horizon, but we can only get there if we work together. Question three. What do you want to see from people in a position of authority to regain the trust of the community? Well, to be frank, I'm not sure that uh, 
my trust could ever be regained by Donald Trump. Just want to be clear about that. Uh, he's a coward and a liar, and he's untrustworthy. Point blank. Uh, police also be a super tough proposition. Um, but just off the top of my head, I'm thinking honesty, accountability, and a willingness to change would be a great start. Uh, I'd love for them to admit that they've been active participants in a system of oppression and show willingness to work with appointed minority leaders with the goal of working toward a world where true justice exists for every Cretan color. Now, the last question I want to tackle here is, uh, what does no justice, no peace mean to you? Uh, to me, no justice, no peace is a battle cry. It's uh, saying we're not going to stop fighting as long as our people are dying in the streets with no repercussions. And it's as simple as that. Uh, with that being said, I want to thank everyone listening. Um, I want to just tell everyone to stay up, stay positive. I know it's been a really tough time with the pandemic and everything, but um, we need you. Uh, make sure to practice self-care. Uh, this is a battle that's been fought for centuries and if you're new to the fight, I want to welcome you. Thank you.